0: Hey corn growers, welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Independent, of course brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. I am Eric Wilson, agronomy manager uh, in southern and eastern Iowa, joined today by Jared Goplin, my counterpart to the north. We haven't talked about corn rootworm in a while, Goplin, so uh, we're probably going to overuse that term today with what we're going to talk about. A lot of things to talk about this year, right?
1: Yeah, this has been a topic I think we've snuck into just about every podcast episode. So finally we're going to dedicate one to corn rootworm, right? We're going to we're going to spend the whole time talking about it
0: exclusively corn rootworm. Probably the best way for us to go about this is let's start off with pressure and what we saw. I think we should kind of break this into two buckets. The bucket number 1 I would say would be the continuous corn acres. Uh, which, to no surprise, with some of the dry areas this year, uh, some of our known hot spots got a little bigger. Um, so the culprit in those acres would be, you know, primarily that western corn rootworm, the yellow and black striped ones. Uh, so we did see pressures uptick a little bit, especially in the dry areas. Uh, but that's not necessarily anything new that we haven't seen in in past years. We know those were hot spot areas. They you know, got a little bigger or pressure levels got a little higher and, and root feeding was definitely more noticeable with the, the dry environment in a lot of those areas, you know, Northern Illinois, uh, Northeast Iowa, Northern Iowa and some pockets and places. So, uh, but first off, how about, uh, how about the other part of this conversation, Goplin, you want to tell us about, um, Northern corn rootworm extended diapause that kind of caught us a little bit off guard this year.
1: Yeah. So whenever you talk about rootworm, you know, I think we, it's maybe worth reiterating, you know, there's two different species we're talking about here. They're obviously related. They're both rootworm beetles. They both do the same thing. They feed on corn roots and cause problems and adults emerge and they can clip silks and things. But there is two species, the pretty ones I always call them, the, the Westerns, they're yellow with black stripes. Um, and then the Northerns, they're the ugly ones. Uh, they are kind of green. Yellow. At least I think they're ugly. They're uh, kind of yellow or green colored. Uh, They're two different species, and they both kind of have two different niches, I guess you could almost say, where the westerns are more corn on corn. That's been the same uh, issue, I guess, into Minnesota uh, as well, where, you know, the continuous corn uh, fields typically deal with more westerns than northerns. But yeah, so northerns, so the ugly ones, uh, did kind of rear their head this year, and that's uh, rootworm that, uh, you know, it's, it's an issue that's existed for a long time. Uh, I think it was back in the 70s. It was first documented, uh, at least in Minnesota. Um, maybe it was elsewhere uh, before that. But uh, there was pocket in Minnesota back in the 70s that had some extended diapause uh, kind of flare up. And uh, guys got nervous about that. Uh, we're wondering how they're going to manage this going forward. And, and, and they kind of fell off the face of the earth after a couple of years. So uh, these populations do ebb and flow. Uh, kind of over over time and yeah, there's a lot of different things that are at play that can cause them to kind of spike in one year and then fall off the next i guess so they're hard to predict but i guess we should maybe back up a step further so what is extended diapause when we're when we're talking about that uh, i guess there's two types of you can call them uh kind of air quote rotation resistant rootworms uh the one and, and we can maybe come back to that later but uh you know the soybean variant of westerns we're not talking about those uh where they lay eggs in soybean fields uh, northerns, uh, when we're talking about extended diapause, they are basically uh, rootworm beetles that still lay their eggs in a cornfield. Uh, it's just half of those eggs sleep an extra year. So rather than all hatching the next year, when you go back to soybeans in a rotated field, uh, if they hatch, uh, they emerge, you know, basically there's no corn roots there for them to feed on, so then they end up dying. Uh, the extended diapause, basically, they just sleep an extra year. Uh, so wait until you come back to corn, more or less figured out we like to grow corn, soybean, corn, soybean. Uh, And then the the other half will hatch uh, when you come back into a cornfield. And, you know, by and large, you typically don't have to worry about rootworms in that scenario. So, you know, there's been a lot of uh, acres, you know, this year when it did flare up, uh, primarily in that northern Iowa, southern Minnesota. It's not a huge area, really, that this has shown up. Um, But uh, when they do show up, you know, typically it is on acres that didn't have any insecticide. They didn't have any uh, traits. So whether it be smart stacks or, or really any type of below ground beachy trait, um, you know, so then if there is high enough populations, they can feed on roots and and more or less surprise you in a scenario you typically don't see issues in, I guess.
0: There's a ton to unpack here. And, you know, we could probably spend uh, an hour talking about this. We're not going to. Don't worry. Don't shut us off. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the questions come up, you know, well, what, what do I need to do going forward? What do I need to be doing for management? Um, and And to be honest, you know, i would say we don't have a definite answer or a broad fit answer right to to kind of handle those situations a lot of this comes back to what we've been preaching for a long time you know what's your pressure get your sticky traps out maybe use some other tools i think we'll touch on that as we get towards the end but uh you know you you tell me if i'm wrong jerry but i we we don't have a one size fits all answer when it comes to specifically extended diapause because uh, we can't in good faith tell you that you're going to see that same pressure level in, in two years. Right.
1: I mean, that kind of goes back to, you know, why I like to bring up that example of when, you know, an area in central Minnesota started to see this issue in the seventies and it just kind of fell off the face of the earth and they didn't see it for another 10, 15 years. Uh, it didn't, you know, disappear. Obviously the, the trait and that characteristic is still around, but these populations just do go up and down quite a bit over time. And And this year was a bad year. Um, you know, we've worked pretty closely with uh, University of Minnesota and some guys up there, uh, you know, with the trapping network. Of course, Wiffles has put out, you know, tons and tons of rootworm traps to try and keep tabs on this uh, over, you know, a long, long period of time now. And, and we've been sharing data with with Minnesota and, and uh, trying to learn more on this. And, and this was just a, an anomaly, honestly, you know, the last number of years with this trapping network, uh, you know, even adding data to the Minnesota data set. Um, you know, this was a huge spike, I guess, in first year corn uh, northern, uh, issues basically, or diapause issues. Um, you know, so then the, the question is predicting into the future, you know, and that's where it gets really hard because there was so many areas this year that, you know, one field in an area might've had an issue, but, and you know, there's beetles everywhere, tons of rootworm feeding, but you go to the field right next door, it's been managed the same, had the same traits, the same rotation, and you couldn't find any feeding out there, no beetles to be found. So, you know, then it, it gets to be kind of, you know, makes you scratch your head and wonder why, And, uh, you know, some of this probably stems back to, you know, kind of rewinding the clock. You know, so two years ago is when these rootworms would have been, the eggs would have been laid. And two years before that, they would have been laid, you know, the prior generation. So that goes back to 2019. And I think a lot of these issues had, uh, you know, pretty pretty significant delays in planting in 2019 and probably had late silking fields in an area that, you know, then probably aggregated beetles even back then. And then we've had a couple of dry years where we haven't been able to drown out any larvae and and populations have slowly built to the level where, you know, there's enough of them out there to cause issues. But, you know, every field didn't have an issue. So, you know, how do you predict whether you're going to have an issue next year? That's the the magic question, I guess.
0: Right. And I I do think that's key. There's been some things in the last couple of years, last few cycles, I guess I would say, like you said, the drier weather, the late planting, it's kind of set up this perfect storm for, a few of these pockets to show this extended diapause issue. But, you know, like you said, going forward, that that's not a good indicator if we're going to see that issue again, could fall off the face of the earth and we don't talk about it for another 10 years. Um, I know we do have, we've looked at a little bit of data from University of Minnesota, Uh, also have some data from University of Illinois, uh, specifically, you know, kind of getting into management for northern populations, I guess I would say. They've split it and looked at it Northern and Western, but just for the sake of this conversation, uh, you, you know, I would say for the most part, what they're finding is the BT traits still are providing some pretty effective control. Uh, but that's, you know, I'm not saying that's a five alarm holiday emergency, uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to make any broad stroke recommendations and, and, you know, over-correct and, and go to, you know, a totally different management strategy than what we've been doing in the past, just, just because we think we might have, uh, extended diapause populations in, in some of these little niche areas.
1: Yeah. And that's really been, I guess, the recommendation we've had and, you know, talking with universities, crop consultants too, um, you know, these issues aren't Real widespread and there's a lot of tools we can use to manage them. So if you suspect you have diapause issues, you know, I, I would suggest you do something going into corn next year in those fields that are in that area or two years from now, I guess, going back into corn, uh, I guess, for the 2024 season. Um, so BT traits, you know, there's a lot of different traits on the market. Obviously, we got smart SmartStacks Pro, you know, VT4 pros coming into the market, a little bit more every year. Um, All those traits should work pretty well on northerns. Um, So that's the good news, I guess. Insecticides work very well also. So, you know, whether it be dry insecticides, liquids uh, provide a little bit of control as well. Uh, So there's a lot of tools, I guess, out there that still uh, can control them. It's just the matter of trying to predict if you have issues or if you need to control them in those fields. And that's where it really comes down to either kind of a hunch, uh, make a guess. You know, if you had neighboring fields that had issues this year uh, or last year, you know, if you had downfield, downed corn you combined, I would probably, you know, kind of put that on the top of the list. Uh, or also, you know, Pattern Egg is a, is a a company, I guess, out there that's kind of got a new tool that we've been playing with, I guess, the last few years. Uh, it's a basically a, ability to predict. Uh, you take soil samples on a grid and and basically then they look for corn rootworm eggs uh, through basically DNA markers, basically look for DNA uh, of corn rootworm eggs in the soil, and then they can uh, hopefully predict, uh, what your pressure is going to be like going forward. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that's a a tool in the toolbox. Like I said, we've done some work with it. It seems like it's maybe working better than at least than I expected, I guess, you know, but I'm, I'm an eternal skeptic, I guess. So, uh, but it is another tool in the toolbox and, and, uh, at least gives you a little bit more, um, kind of info, I guess, to make an educated guess. If, if you really are wondering if you have an issue in one field and some of the fields we've done so far this year, it seems like it's been doing its job. So,
0: yeah, we uh we are we're the eternal skeptics, Goplin, Uh which is <laughs> which is why we're always surprised by this stuff. But, um, yeah, I, you know, just to tag on to the the pattern thing, you know, we we have tested this a few years, and and we've been, uh, I know I personally have been impressed at, at how that pressure has come back, and and I would say in. In a lot of instances, you know, where we have field checked it, so we pulled the samples. They've given us an estimate of what to expect for pressure. Um, then we've gone back out, dug roots that following year to verify. Okay, what did we actually see for feeding pressure? Uh, in a lot of cases, it it, it overestimates. Do I have that right? It overestimates the amount of feeding. I believe that uh, or predicted feeding than we actually saw um, which I, I guess I'd rather have it that way, uh, so that you're prepared that some might be an issue, but yeah, we've been, we've been quite impressed by how that's turned out. And I, I know we're going to continue to do some more in-house testing on that platform. Um, they can, uh, like you mentioned, they can tell the difference between Westerns and Northerns. Uh, they unfortunately cannot tell if you have those, uh, mutant populations, the extended diapause populations or the Western variant populations as of yet, but they can tell the difference between Westerns and Northerns. I think we belabored uh, extended diapause and Northerns. You want, you want to change gears and, and talk about uh, some of the things that we saw with uh, Western populations this year, goblin?
1: Move on to the pretty ones. Yeah, the... the... <laughs> I still hate them, just so you know, just to be <laughs> clear, everybody. <laughs>
0: They're, they're all nasty, but, uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, we had, we had pretty good uh, surge in Western populations this year, hotspots got even a little bit bigger, but I would say for the most part, you know, we, we didn't have more hot spots than we've seen before. Northern Iowa, Northeast Iowa, Northern Illinois, Southern Wisconsin, that would remain the focal point of hotspots for continuous corn and Western corn rootworms. Um, but we did add, uh, you know, in our own lineup, we had some smart stacks pro hybrids this year which would be the the new form of rootworm control by large we were quite impressed with the amount of control or beetle suppression I should say that we saw with those products so like regular smart stacks those, Larvae still have to feed on a smart stacks pro route to ingest that, uh, for it to be effective. So some feeding is still to be expected. And in, in places where we had heavy pressure, we did see quite a bit of feeding. Uh, but the, the telltale was, we saw significantly low beetle numbers in those fields that were smart stacks pro traded compared to, uh, regular smart stacks or non-traded. Uh, that's a positive moving forward. Um, you know, giving us another tool in the toolbox and, um, I know we've got some more coming out this year and, and I'm sure they'll be used in the same manner. Anything to add on the continuous corn, Jared? What you saw out of stacks or otherwise?
1: No, I guess, you know, for the most part, things were as expected, I guess. Um, yep. You know, the problem areas or the areas where you suspected issues. And this is the guys that have been growing, you know, corn on corn for a, a lot of years, you know, probably already have insecticide on the planter. Uh, those types scenarios. I guess it was, it was very, uh, I guess, predictable this year. Uh, you know, just looking at our trapping data uh, network, Um, You know, with continuous cornfields, pressure was about the same as what it's been, you know, on, uh, you know, more than basically second year or longer corn, continuous cornfields, you know, about half of those had heavy beetle captures, basically, so over two two per trap per day, um, at least at the peak beetle emergence there, Um, you know, and about uh, 20% of those had, you know, at least one to two per trap per day. Um, so very similar to what the, the years past have been, I guess. So, so not a lot, a lot new there. Um, I guess just to kind of go back to the kind of the traded, uh, kind of conversation, um, you know, when SmartStacks Pro, of course that's, you know, compiles, uh, you know, the new RNAi technology on top of the SmartStacks BT proteins, you know, and that came out, you know, I guess this was the first year we had, uh, products, you know, on the, uh, of, uh, Wiffles products with SmartStacks Pro, you know, if you have really heavy pressure, um, you know, those are scenarios we still like to rotate fields, um, you know, out of corn just to kind of pull back on some of that pressure. But, uh, you know, if you have moderate, uh, certainly moderate pressure, that trait has worked very, very well. And one of the reasons I guess are concerns there is if you do have really heavy pressure, you know, if you've got a hundred rootworms feeding on a root, it doesn't really matter what uh, trait you have there. Even if it's working, you know, it's kind of like death by a thousand mosquito bites, uh, you know, considering mosquitoes are national or our state bird here in Minnesota, but it's kind of the same kind of theory. So, Um, It's important to know what your pressure is, you know, even if you suspect issues, you know, that's where the trapping, I think, is important as well as digging roots. Uh, Of course, it's two two things that everybody loves to do in the summer when corn's pollinating is dig roots and, and trap beetles. So that's good news.
0: And I I would add too, you know, there's, you're going to see more new traits on the market next year. You know, Corteva's coming out with some, uh, possibly some new or more commonly seen traits out of Bayer. You're going to have more VT4 pros, smart stacks pro. There's going to be a lot of trait options going forward. And some are going to work better than others, depending on what your pressure level is. Right. So I don't think we mentioned it. Well, you probably said it somewhere. I just missed it, but I'm going to say sticky traps. Uh, comes back to knowing your pressure, right? Get the sticky traps out. Uh, if you suspect that you've got some issues, you know, maybe take a look at something like pattern egg. Um, but knowing that pressure and knowing what to expect going into the season can just better prepare you to make uh, a more effective management decision that's going to help your bottom line, especially if we're looking at traits or insecticide or a combination of both or, or what have you.
1: We probably should have uh, introduced this as a drink, drinking game, right? So every time you say "corn rootworm" is a drink, and "sticky traps" is two or something, we sh- we maybe should have set that up.
0: Uh, they'd all be hammered. So I tried. I, I, I tried to round it out. You just had to say it two, three more times, didn't you? So yeah. <laughs> that's right. All right. All right, with that, I I, I don't think we uh, have any more on corn rootworms or sticky traps, but as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you do have any uh, additional questions or any other topics you want to talk about, reach out to us at agronomy at wiffles.com. We like to get those questions, and uh, as a reminder, there's probably some some free wiffles gear in it for you that we can send out if you do give us a question. So stay safe out there, and uh, thanks for listening, guys.